you for leading us in worship, and that's such a powerful, beautiful thing. You know, I'm going a little bit of a different direction than what I thought I was going to do. There, there's something I think I need to share with you. And it, it tied into the song that we were just singing about, I, I believe. I believe. Like, do, you, do you know what you believe? Do you really know that? And, and do you believe what you know? You know, I've been a pastor a long time, so pretty much I know what I believe. Occasionally, I struggle to believe what I know. And back in oh, this last spring, around February or so, it was a long winter, and I was going through just the winter doldrums. And we were preaching through a, a series of some sort, and I ended up on the book of Acts. I, we were just doing like an overview of the New Testament, and, and I had the book of Acts. And so I got up, and I'm preaching about the book of Acts. I talked about how, like, they laid hands on people and raised them up from the grave. Like, they were dead, and they came alive. And then I made this statement from the pulpit in my church just this past spring. I said, of course, that stuff doesn't happen these days. It doesn't happen, you know, anymore like that. I mean, you don't really hear too much about people, you know, you know, coming out of the grave, you know, the caskets and stuff like that. It just, it really, you know, every, every now and then there's some television evangelist that says that kind of stuff, but I have serious skepticism about those kinds of things. I was saying that from the pulpit. And when I was done with that, um, later on at staff meeting, my youth pastor says at the end of staff meeting, Mark, can I talk to you just for a minute? And I said, sure, Jeremy, I'd be glad to talk to you. And he says, you know what? He says, I was really disappointed in your sermon on Sunday. Now listen, a youth pastor is not supposed to correct their senior pastor. I said, well, you're, you're disappointed in my sermon. I thought it was a pretty good sermon. What, what's the problem? He says, well, you know, he said, I've always thought of you as a man of great faith. And, and you said, like you didn't believe that that stuff would happen today, that God could do that kind of thing. And I was just really disappointed in your lack of faith. And I said, well, I haven't seen you down at the funeral home pulling up corpses out of caskets. So, so he says, no, 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 that isn't the point. The point is, could, could God do something? Could God do something like that? Do you really believe that he could? And I got really defensive about that. And, and I just thought he was loopy. Now, that's really funny because Jeremy was the most heady staff person that I have. He's the most theologically astute. I mean, he's, he's the least likely of my staff members to tell me that I didn't have enough faith because I didn't believe about people raising from the dead and stuff. And I, really, I really was troubled by that. And I was stewing over it. Worrying with my eyes closed. <laughs> the next morning, I was in our church sanctuary, and, and I was trying to have a prayer time, but it seemed like it was... Do you ever have that with a prayer time? Where it doesn't... Not getting through? Not getting through? And then it was like the Lord spoke to my heart. And he says, I can raise people from the dead. And he said, in fact, there's a dead pastor right now that needs to be raised up again. You need some reviving in your own soul. So come awake. <laughs> Wake up. 
And I said, oh, Lord, I can't believe that, that I, I just missed it. I mean, instead of preaching about faith from the book of Acts, I was preaching doubt. And, and God is alive and he's real. And no, no, don't worry. I, you know, I'm not going to go down you know, to the funeral home and try to you know, resurrect the corpses, I suppose. I mean, I, that, that still a little, blows my mind a little bit. But, but I tell you what, God is real. And he can do amazing things that we can't ever explain in the human dimension. He can do that. And I know that that's true because, I mean, I gave up doubt for Lent one time. I did. I remember, you know, people give up stuff like Facebook and they give up chocolate and stuff like that. I decided to give up doubt. So I thought for 40 days, I'm just going to ask myself the question, what would great faith have me do? And so that's my commitment. We have an Ash Wednesday service at our church, so we actually ask people a little, you know, uh, hope that doesn't make you think I'm weird or something, but uh, it's a really meaningful service for us. And so I still had the ashes on my forehead after I'm giving up doubt for Lent, and my youth pastor comes up to me and says, hey, I got a great idea, and it's really expensive, and let me tell you what it is. And, and I go, Ugh! and they go, wait a minute, what would great faith have me do? And I go, sure, absolutely, go for it, let's do it. So for 40 days, I did it that. And then, boy, I was sure glad when Easter came and I could go back to fretting and doubting again. But anyhow, so I'm preaching this sermon on Acts with doubt. My youth pastor rebukes me. And then I'm having this quiet time with God. And he was reminding me that I need to resurrect myself. I need a, I need a fresh, new, come awake kind of thing. And so I just did that. I just prayed to the Lord. He met me there. See, the Lord has to continually renew our lives. So it's not like you just get it once and then you're good to go forever. You, you, have, you have to keep going back to the well and filling it right back up again. And that's what I needed. And oh man, when I, when I was filled back up with Jesus, then I was thinking, oh wow, what, what do I do now? Because I said all that stuff to all these people. And now I gotta like retract that somehow. So I ended up sending an email to my whole congregation saying, you guys, what I said about all that stuff, um, I was wrong. <laughs> I said, Come back next Sunday and let me tell you the real scoop of things. So they all showed up to find out what I was gonna say at church. And you know what? I changed my sermon all the way around. I had a completely different sermon. And you know what I preached on? I preached on Lazarus coming forth from the grave. And, and, I, and it was the, this was the title of my sermon. Jesus is here and he wants to resurrect somebody. <laughs> he wants to resurrect somebody. Come awake. And so I, I went down to the cloth store a couple of days before my sermon. And I, I asked them if they could get me little squares of white cloth. And I told the lady at the cloth store what I was doing. I said, this is like a burial shroud. I'm going to give one to every person in the church, a little, little thing that represents a burial cloth. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to hold on to that thing, and we're going to think about the things that hold us down, that, 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 that are, are doubt and unbelief and fear and anxiety and sin and all that stuff in our lives. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give it to Jesus. And Jesus is going to speak his word. Come forth, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And that burial shroud is going to turn into a resurrection cloth. That's what it's going to turn into. 
And you know what? Um, the lady at the cloth store, she started crying. And, and, and she says, could you pray for me? Because I need that. <laughs> I said, yeah, absolutely. Woo, come awake. So I pray for her. Oh, man, it was the most glorious day. That one goes down in our history. It's probably one of the best Sundays we ever had. And at the end of the service, I said, if anybody wants a resurrection, you just come up and get it. Because Jesus is here, and he wants to resurrect somebody. Half the church came forward. It was the most beautiful, glorious thing. I don't know why I shared all that. I wasn't planning on telling that story at all. But maybe there's somebody here that you, you, you still need some resurrecting. Do you, do you believe what you know? Because you already know what you believe. Most of you do. I mean, you, you got that pretty well settled, right? I mean, don't you? But do you really deep down believe it? That's the question. But where I want to go here today, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, First Chronicles chapter 16. Can we do that? And basically what I said was Jesus is the greatest treasure the world's ever seen. And there are three ways that we treasure him. Can you remember what they are? What's the first one? We treasure him through worship. Yep, and what's the second one? Holiness. Yep, and what's the third one? It's, it's, it's mission, going forward to reach others. So in the holy love, in the overflow of, of holy love. And, and tonight what I want to say is that we treasure the treasure through holiness, through worship, holiness, and mission day after day after day after day, forever and ever. It's day after day after day, forever and ever. I mean, we're in infuse. I mean, this week you can really be pumped up and we're having church every day. You're gonna have that all semester. Like three or four weeks from now, it's gonna get really tough and, 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 and you know, papers are gonna be coming due and your roommate's gonna irritate you and, and all this great joy that you just had here is gonna start to fizzle out. And, and you're gonna forget and you're not gonna believe what you know. But you need to keep at it day after day after day after day, forever. And it says it right here in First Chronicles chapter 16. Look at uh, verse 23. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. All right? So proclaim his salvation day after what? Day after day. Say it with me. Day after day. Good, okay. And now let's go over to verse 34. In verse 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures what? Forever, forever. So it's day after day and forever, forever. Uh, look at verse, uh, two verses down, 36. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. There it is. It's on and on and on and on. And then it says, and all the people said, amen and praise the Lord. So just go ahead and say it. Amen and praise the Lord. Ready? Amen and praise the Lord. Okay, great. That's all the people. Day after day after day, forever. See, the, the spiritual journey, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. When my son Luke was a senior in high school uh, and just about ready to graduate, I said, son, I want to take you uh, anywhere you want to go in the continental United States, not Hawaii and not Alaska, okay, but anywhere you want to go, we'll do a father-son trip and we'll just do something fun together and you get to pick it. What do you want to do? And Luke thinks about it for a little bit and he comes back to me and says, I want to go to Pikes Peak. I go, oh, that's fun, Pikes Peak, that'd be really beautiful and stuff. He says, and really what I, what I like to do is backpack and, and climb Pikes Peak. I said, 
you're kidding, right? I mean, there's a road that goes to the top of Pikes Peak, and, and there's a little train that just takes you right up to the top of Pikes Peak. Why would you want to backpack all the way up there? And he says, oh, I think it's the experience. I think that would be a lot of fun. And so I go, oh, man, oh, man. Okay, well, okay, hey, you anywhere? And I said it, so we're going to go. We're gonna go. Now, I am not, like, totally in shape or anything, but boy, I started working out. I did. I, I started walking everywhere. I, I wore out like a couple pairs of hiking boots while I was preparing to go to Pikes Peak. And so I'm, I'm, I've just worked and worked and worked and worked to get ready to go. We actually got this altitude sickness medicine because sometimes people get, you know, queasy and stuff up there. And so we took the altitude sickness. And, and maybe some of you guys, you're mountaineers and, and you don't think it's very daunting to climb a mountain that has a donut shop on top of it. But for me, that was a big deal. In fact, I remember uh, Luke and I, we, we flew into Denver and we made our way to Colorado Springs and, and early, the, early in the morning, we, we, they said start early, so we, we got up really early and we go to the base where we're supposed to park and the parking lot is totally full and there are cars all the way down for about two or three miles parked and I'm, I'm thinking, oh no, they were having some big thing going on in the next few days and all these people were training for it and stuff and everybody wanted to go up Pikes Peak. These mutants is what they were, they ran up Pikes Peak. <laughs> One water bottle in each hand. <laughs> they were just, that's not normal. And there's no parking space, and I began to panic. I drove around and around and around. I, I dropped Luke off at the, at the starting line, you know, at the beginning place, and I said, I'm just going to look, and I'm going to pray for a parking space. Now, I've made fun of people who prayed for parking spaces before, you know, just like I made fun of for people that prayed for grocery contests. But this time, I just really seriously, deep down, oh, Jesus, please help me, because I don't even know if I'm going to survive the climb, let alone have to hike three miles to get to the start of it. There's just no way I can do that. And guess what happened? Just as I finished praying, some guy pulls out right at the base and says, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're good. And I pulled right in there, and then we took off. We put our, our backpacks on, and, and we're huffing and puffing. Luke's much better shape than I am. He, so he says, come on, Dad, you can do this. And I, <laughs> Well, we made it up halfway, and, and, and it just about killed me. But we made it up halfway, and we, we camped out all night uh, halfway in between, and and, and then, then we're going to take the summit the, the next day. And the, the higher we climbed, the harder it got. And that's true in ministry, by the way. The higher you climb, the, more, the farther you go, the harder it gets. See, some of you guys are thinking, man, I can hardly wait till I get out and be a pastor. Because like, this school stuff is killing me. It's just killing me. I, gotta, I can hardly wait to be done with all this so I can go do the real fun stuff and be a pastor. Guess what? The work of the pastor, if, if this is killing you, that's going to kill you too. Because it's hard. It's hard. It, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. But your capacity to be able to navigate it with joy grows if you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the right spirit and attitude into this thing. Uh, but, but it doesn't get easier. So don't, don't if, if you think it's too hard now, eh, just go ahead and go do something else. Don't be a pastor. But if you have a heart for Christ and he's calling you to do it, he'll give you what you need even though it gets harder. And that's the way it was. We were climbing up that mountain and it got harder as we went. See, the altitude gets lighter the farther up you go and, and you have to... <sighs> and I was struggling. 
And like I'd take like a few steps. There were a couple times I even fell down. And there was this guy who's an experienced hiker who came up by us. And he, and he saw, you know, I was kind of struggling. And he, and he says to me, he says, you know, you're going to make it. You're going to do just fine. He said, but let me give you some advice. He said, take one little step at a time. Just one little step at a time. You don't have to sprint up the mountain like those mutants. Just take one little step at a time and rest whenever you need to. One little step at a time and rest whenever you need to. And Luke and I thought, we can do that. We can do that. Just one little step. Just one little step. Just keep keep one in front of the next. Just keep on going. And if I had to, (gasps) okay, keep going, keep going. And and we started uh, to sing a song. It was a theme song. I taught it to Luke. He knows it really well now. He didn't know it really too much before that. The song was Higher Ground. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. And still sing as I'm outer bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And I was really praying it. Lord, please plant me on top where the donut shop is. I need to get up there. I really do. And the farther we we passed the tree line and and, and it was just really getting intense. And then I saw this sign and it was a great inspiration to me. It was way at the top almost. And it says that at this spot, Ernestine Roberts, that was age 91 or something like that, died on her 15th ascent to the top of Pikes Peak. She died at that spot. And I said, Luke, we beat in a steam. <laughs> and onward, upward, we went. <laughs> and finally, when we reached the top, it was the coolest thing. I mean, it was tough. We took one little step at a time. We rested whenever we needed to. And, and we, we, we turned the last corner. The golden stairway is what they call it. The golden stair. There's nothing golden about it. It was brutal. But, but, we, but we made it. We made it. And just as we turned the corner, there it is. There's this tourist attraction place at the top. And all these out-of-shape tourists, they're all there. You know, they just arrived on the tram. And, they're, and they looked at us. And they pointed to us. And they said, you climbed this thing? Were, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. And that felt really good. It also felt good that I could take the tram on the way back down. <laughs> I'm no stupid idiot. <laughs> but that's what ministry's like. You just press on day by day by day by day and forever and ever. You treasure the treasure with worship holiness, mission, every single day. Don't give up and don't quit. Day after day after day. I'm going to share from Psalm 84. There's a verse here. It's verse uh, 4. It says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Ever. I mean, you continue on. They just keep on. They don't quit. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. 
And the valley of Baca, the word Baca there means tears or, or bitterness, disappointment, sorrow. That when you set your heart on the pilgrimage and you keep on climbing that mountain, you put one little foot in front of the next and you rest whenever you need to, you're going to go through. It doesn't say if they pass through the valley of Baca, it says when. Somewhere along the line, you're going to go through that valley. The valley of bitterness, the valley of tears, the valley of sorrows and disappointment. Because when they pass through the valley of Baca, it becomes a place of springs. Do you know why? Because Jesus is there. He's right there with you. And the richest experiences I've ever had with Jesus, they've been in the valley. They've been when I didn't know what to do and, or when I've been struggling with something. That's when I found him the sweetest. The growth happens when we're in the valley. I've been reading a great book uh, called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. It was written way back in the 1970s. It's a beautiful book. It's probably in your library. I, I encourage you to take a look at it. And he talks about this idea when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And what he says is that this guy was a shepherd and he said he would take his sheep to the mountain ranges and he said the only way that you could get to the top of the mountain was through the path that winds through the valley. There's no other way. I mean, sheep don't scale mountains. They don't, they don't you know, climb straight up the mountain. They got to take the valley path. That's the only way to get to the top. And we want to have mountaintop experiences. The only way you're going to get the mountaintop experience is when you walk right through that dark valley. But here's the other thing he said. It was really interesting. He said, that's where the water source is. That the water flows right along that pathway all the way down into the valley. If you, if you want water, you follow that winding path. There's, there's a, a stream beside the path for you. So let's say you're walking in a dark valley and it's just a struggle and maybe this semester's just been hard or you're homesick or you're going through some stuff and you, you're, you're just having a tough go and you're in a valley. If you will look, there's a stream right beside you, the stream of God's presence and he will refresh you and he'll restore your soul right there as you just take that walk and you stop and you take a little, one step at a time, rest when you need to, need to take a drink from the stream that's beside the way. It's there. It's there. And God cares for you. He, he loves you so much. And it's, sometimes it's in the hardest places that the most beautiful things happen. Like we live in the forest, in the wilderness, I mean, kind of like around here, just lots of woods and all that kind of stuff. Every now and then we have forest fires. And forest fires are devastating. It just destroys acres and acres of land. It's just so sad. It, it mars the landscape. Things that I love so beautifully, you know, there they are. And they're just black and charred and they're no good anymore. But guess what? Three years later, after the forest fire, you know what you get? Blueberries. Blueberries, they come. Yeah, it's the coolest thing. I mean, right where that fire was, you, I take my kids, we get pails of blueberries. Without a fire, no blueberries. So, you know, I don't like fires. I don't like forest fires, but I sure love blueberries. <laughs> There's another guy. Um, 
His name was Samuel Bringle. Anybody ever heard of him, Samuel Bringle? He, he was a Salvation Army writer. He was one of the greatest writers of holiness literature in the 1800s. And he was a preacher, a street corner preacher. He would just preach on the street corner and they'd play the Salvation Army band, oompa, 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 and then he'd preach a sermon and stuff and people would give their hearts to Jesus. But sometimes people didn't like the Salvation Army people doing that and they protested. One guy one time threw a brick at him, just threw a brick at him, bam, hit him right in the side of the head. Knocked him out, just really did major damage to him. In fact, it laid him up for months. He was laid up. And you know what he did while he was laid up? He wrote a book. He wrote a book, and even though Samuel Bringle's been long dead, he's rejoicing with Jesus up in heaven. You know what? He speaks to me. He, he speaks to my heart. In fact, I, I often say to my wife, Kathy, because I love reading old stuff from the 1800s, and, and Kathy says, what are you doing? I said, I'm communing with the dead. They're talking to me. She goes, huh? And they're old books, because they're talking to me, preaching their sermons and stuff. I'm reading to all these dead people, and they're talking. Sometimes I argue back. I just write in the margins and stuff, and write, argue back with those guys. But, but Samuel Bringer, Bringle later on said this. He said, if there would have been no brick, there would have been no book. There would have been no book. So God took that terrible thing and turned it into something good. Sometimes the disappointment in your life, the thing that just really causes you pain, the fire in your life, that's where you're going to find the sweetness and you're going to find your success. Right there, that very place. Happened to Leonard Ravenhill too. Uh, you ever heard of him? He, he's just a great writer. I mean, he's, he, hits, he writes with like a sledgehammer. Bam, bam, bam. You got you, you to be you know, prepared for Leonard Ravenhill. But boy, oh boy, he just really can preach it heavy, hot and heavy. I, I love Leonard Ravenhill. But um, you know what happened to him? He was in a, the third story of a building and it caught on fire and he almost died. He jumps out of the building to save his life and just got all mangled up in the fall, but he survived it. And while he was recuperating, almost like Bringle, he ended up writing books and his books have, have reached millions of people. So you never know. Sometimes that dark place is exactly the place that God wants you to be so he can do his greatest work in you and through you. That's, that's really the truth. It, it is. Like there are three gardens in the Bible. There's the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it's just a beautiful garden and everything's new and good and great. Garden of Eden is like uh, when the semester's brand new and everything's great and everybody's got an A and it's all happy and wonderful and everything. That's the Garden of Eden. And then there's the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's the one where Jesus said, please let this cup pass from me. I don't like this. This is a painful place. This is really hard. I don't see my way through with this one. This is dark and difficult. And then there's the Garden of the Empty Tomb. The Garden of Resurrection. And in that garden, Jesus comes forth and alive and he's well and Jesus is risen. And so if you're in the Garden of Eden, or you just rejoice in that new beginning and be happy about it. And if you're in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you're in that difficult spot, just know that, that there's a resurrection coming. And just hold on to that because the joy will come in the morning. And that, that Garden of Gethsemane place, it could be kind of like, you know, a family thing that's going on. In fact, last night, when we, or yesterday afternoon, we were talking several of you spoke about family things, that there's just pain that goes with that. It's a dark place. 
But Jesus wants to speak truth into that. Your mending place is your sending place. It really is. That's the very place where he's going to use you the most, the place that hurts the most. So you just live into that and understand it and learn from it. Let him heal it and touch it so he can do something beautiful in it. So it can be like a family thing. It can be a painful experience that you've had, an experience of rejection and stuff, and where people that you thought were your friends aren't, and, and, and where people have turned you away. Well, Jesus is familiar with that. He knows all about that. Or maybe you're at a crisis of obedience where you, you just, you know God's calling you to do something and you've not been willing. You just say, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, that's too much for me. That's too much for me. But you gotta be all in. That's the only way it works. And when we go through that valley of Baca, it becomes a place of springs. You know what that means? If you're in the valley of Baca, you know what you do? You dig a well there. Dig a well. Dig a well. That's, that's what you do. That's how you do it. If there's a spring there, dig a well and you get fresh water right out of that very, very thing. My, my main idea here, you guys, is just that we got to keep on keeping on. Just keep on plugging. Keep on moving. Keep one foot in front of the next. And keep that spiritual thing going. I mean, what you guys have going this week is beautiful. You may not be able to keep it at the same intensity, but you can keep it with the same commitment. You really can. And don't, don't give up on that. Two ways a fire goes out. One is through um, suffocation, where you're just piling too much stuff on it, and then a fire goes out. You guys ever build fires? You know, and you pile all this wood and stuff, and then it doesn't light? It's because you have too much wood. And sometimes with your schedule, it can be that way, and you suffocate the spiritual life just by piling on all these extra things. The other way is just neglect. You light the fire and then you walk away from it. After a while, it just kind of dies out. And so either way, either one of those could be true for you. But if you just keep on plugging and keep on growing and keep it all the way to the end, day by day by day by day, forever, forever and ever. And eventually, you're going to cross that finish line. And then you'll see that treasure, the real treasure, face to face. And what a glorious day that's going to be. In just oh, about three or four weeks now, we're going to have the American Berkebiner. That's the Berkey is what we call it here in Hayward. It's, it's the largest cross-country ski, ski race in America. And our little town just becomes this world-class event for one day. Skiers come from all over the world. I mean, this is a little town that only has like three stoplights and, and skiers come. 10,500 skiers come from everywhere. They come from Norway and Switzerland and Germany and Italy and Russia and China. They come from everywhere to our little town, Hayward, Wisconsin, and they ski the Berkebiner Trails. And at the finish line, it's Main Street. That's, that's where it ends, on Main Street in Hayward. And they put snow down on Main Street, just like what you guys had. You have snow on your streets right now. Well, that's the way it looks on Main Street during Berkebiner Day. And, and there are literally thousands of people that, that line the streets, and they ring cowbells. Helen Elliott loaned me her cowbell, by the way. I'm so really good. 
And so I'm a cowbell ringer, by the way. I'm not a skier. People have asked me if I'd ever ski the Birkebeiner. I mean, it's a, like a full marathon on skis is what it is. And I thought, well, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I already climbed Pikes Peak once. And uh, besides that, somebody has got to ring cowbells. Like, what if, if everybody was skiing and nobody ringed the cowbells? I mean, that would be really disappointing for the skiers. So I'm going to just do my duty and be a, a cowbell ringer. And just think that, like just uh, literally hundreds of cowbells that are all going at the same time. And the skiers are coming in. And so like about two hours after the race starts, that's when the elite skiers show up. And these guys, they don't even break a sweat. I mean, these are the Olympians. These are the ones you see on TV during the Olympics. They, they come to Hayward on, on any off Olympic year. They're all there, all of them. And they're whoosh, 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 whoosh. And they're spandex and stuff. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I mean, it's just no big deal. Here I am. You know, the Italians always win. We just, we, we get irked at the Italians. We wish that some Hayward guy in blue jeans would win sometime. But that hasn't happened yet. And so, but, and I go down at the beginning. I like to see who's going to win the race, but that doesn't really inspire me a whole lot, even though there's lots of crowds and Sports Illustrated is there and ESPN and all that, and they're taking it on TV and all that stuff. But that doesn't really grab my heart when those guys make it. Shoot, those guys could do it with their eyes closed. What I do, and my daughter Hannah too, we like going down in the middle of the day. We like to ring our cowbells in the middle of the day because that's, that's when the plumbers and the funeral directors and the used car salesmen and the cooks and the preachers, that's when those guys are coming in. And, and they're, they're hurting. I mean, they're hurting because it's very cold outside, just like it is here, you know. And they're, <gasps> they need cowbells. They really do. The Italians, they don't need cowbells, but, but the farmers do. So I, I just ring in those, those people in the middle of the day, and, and, and it brings a tear to my eye as I see them. And I see, you know, their, their husbands or their wives who are bringing the cowbell, and when, the, when their loved one crosses the finish line, they run out, and they meet them, and they hug them, and they're so proud of them, they put a medal over them, and, and I go, oh, wow, this is beautiful. I, I love the Birkebeiner, but the best part of it, the very best part for me is towards the end of the day. Now, this just happened by accident. There was one night, uh, it, was, it was about dark. It was about this time of night, actually. Maybe just a little bit earlier than this. It was, it was getting dark. And my daughter Hannah says, Daddy, let's go down and ring in some more Berkey skiers. Can we do that? And I go, oh, honey, it's all done now. I'm sure they're all done. The race is all over. He goes, oh, please, could we just go down and try? Let's just take a look and see. What do you think? Please, huh? So I said, okay. So we grab our cowbells and we go down to, to Main Street. And sure enough, there are these workers and they're plowing it up and everything. And there's some guys where they're picking up the litter from all the people that dropped their cookie wrappers and stuff on the, the ground. And, and the crowds are all gone. There's no more ESPN and Sports Illustrated. They, they're all gone. It's, it's, just, it's just the workers. And so I just said uh, to, to Hannah, I said, well, hon, there it is. See, it, it's all done. And then one of the workers, he had a walkie-talkie and he's like, What? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, wait, you guys. There's one more skier coming in. <gasps> really? There's one more skier coming in. Yeah, sure enough. It was 91-year-old Herman Nunemacher. 
And actually, it wasn't just Herman. Actually, Herman's 46-year-old wife was with him. It was one of those May-December romances or something. She was propping him up, and all Herman was making it. Well, now that deserves a cowbell right there. Hey, when you're 91, let's see you ski the Birkebiner. Oh, I couldn't believe it. That's just incredible. And nobody there to cheer him on except for Hannah and me. But I, there were some people coming out of a bar that were just right down the street. I said, hey, guys, 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 get over here right now, right now. There's a guy coming in and he needs to be cheering. Really? Wow! So he goes right back inside, grabs a few more people. They all come out with their Green Bay Packer hats and all that stuff. And they're like, we're going to cheer for Herman Nodemacher. And so they're all like cheering for him and stuff. And Hannah and I, we're the only ones with cowbells. So we rang them with everything that we had for all Herman. Now, there was a problem because they had just plowed up the, the street before the finish line. So poor old Herman, as he crossed the corner and, and there he is, he comes to the end of the snow and then he doesn't know what to do. And <laughs> he had to stop and he took off his skis. <laughs> he put over his shoulder like that. And he starts making his way towards the finish line and and he crosses the finish line. He did it. He did it. We just cheered for him to no end. All the workers, everybody, they're all cheering for Herman. And Terrell, the omnipresent photographer from the Sawyer County Record, was there. <laughs> Serious he was. He's taking pictures of Herman. Oh, this is so funny. Because he says, he's like, Mr. Nunemacher, he says, what, you, you finished the Birkebeiner. What do you have to say? And Herbert, I heard him. He goes, I hurt. <laughs> that was it. I hurt. I was like, yep, I can understand that. I can relate to that one. I can relate to that one. Guess who made it on the front page of the Sawyer County Record the next week? It wasn't the Italian guy that came in first place. It was Herman Nunemacher. You see, it doesn't matter how quickly you finish your race. And it doesn't matter if you beat the next guy. And some of you here, there'll be somebody here probably will be a megachurch pastor and you're gonna have a bajillion people in your church. And there are several of you, you're going to be bivocational. And you'd prefer to be a megachurch pastor, but God has a different plan. You're going to be bivocational. But the one isn't better than the other. You've got to be faithful to what God calls you to do. And put one foot in front of the next and rest whenever you need to. I had this picture in my mind one day. And I was thinking, I pictured this. This is heaven. And the angels were all scurrying around because they said, well, what's going on? What's going on? And somebody said, and one of the angels says, well, the, the famous pastor is coming today. He's, he's coming up to heaven today. Really? Wow. Was it what, which, a television evangelist or which one? No, no, it's a bivocational pastor. Because see, down here, a lot of times that's just the hardest thing. But up in heaven, 
That's the greatest reward because they've been so faithful to do the difficult thing and they just kept on and they kept doing it and they didn't give up. And in heaven, they rejoice over that. That's beautiful. So, so be faithful and embrace what God has given to you and take it on one step, one day at a time. And then someday you're gonna cross that finish line and, and the Lord's gonna say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Is, is, is that your aim? Is that your goal? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are with us today and we thank you for the special time that we've spent together. And as we come down to the end of these services, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to whatever it is you call us to do. Help us to give 100% to it not a half-hearted effort, but all the way, all in for you. And help us not to compare ourselves with anybody else, but only to what you want us to do. And that's the only measure that we are true to your call. And help us to do the best that we can with whatever you've given to us, to give honor and glory to you. And Lord, help us not to just run a quick race and then fizzle out but help us to run the race daily with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. And help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you, Lord, because you're faithful and you will do it. And we praise you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. But we're gonna finish with a couple songs, I think. And and the altar's open. If you, if, you, if you just need to nail something down and say, Lord, I, I'm going to finish well. And whatever my ambition is, I, I want to lay that down. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you and be faithful to whatever it is you call me to do. And maybe you're, you're afraid of that. Maybe that's a scary thing. But whatever that is, if he's calling you to something, you got to say yes. I mean, nobody's ever gone wrong by saying yes to Jesus. Not one, not one. So why would you be afraid that things are gonna go wrong if you say yes to him? If he's never failed anybody yet, well, he's not gonna start failing with you. So if you need to do something, you know, just with the Lord, you and the Lord, um, we're gonna ask the worship team, you guys come and just lead us in, in some, some worship. And, and if you'd like to come, you feel free to, to pray. And let's just join our hearts together. How about, huh? God bless you guys.